This is the remix. Shotgun snap, here comes pressure, Carr. Hit as he throws, it's stripped. Jumped on it, Chargers. A scrum for the ball. Guess who? And they are going to say the Raiders fell on top of it. Bosa with a Bosa bowl. Things got testy. Yeah, there's some things that just respectfully, privately, I'll share, you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely, there is. Um, you know, and I'll do that privately. It's nothing I need to do at a microphone. Uh, you know, that's not, that's not my style. Yeah, he's something else. I mean, I, I'm proud of all our players. I really am. I wish I could answer all your questions, but uh, I've never had an indoor stadium with a lightning delay. This was a bizarre night for all of us. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. Just being a little sarcastic and having a little fun here. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Raiders lost for the first time last night. Lost to the Chargers on Monday night football. They are now tied atop the division at 3-1 and one with both the Chargers and the Broncos. Chiefs sitting at 2-2. Two and two. But more importantly, this game kicked off about 40 minutes later than expected because of a weather delay. Uh, despite this game being played at the brand new SoFi Stadium, which has a roof, there was rain and lightning in the area. And apparently... As we all got to find out last night, they built SoFi Stadium so that it was kind of halfway open air where the back of each end zone at the top wasn't actually enclosed, meaning it's technically an outdoor stadium. How ironic was it that the Sunday night game had people holding umbrellas, (laughs) but the Monday night game that was indoors (laughs) was weather delayed? So I I have been very critical of Allegiant Stadium. Uh, my most recent complaint is that at a soccer game sitting in the 17th row, I could not see the entire field from my seat. Um, but it is a pretty clear runaway that Allegiant Stadium is better than SoFi Stadium if SoFi Stadium has to go into a delay if there's lightning in the area. Is there often lightning in the area? Enough Was for there it? to be a delay for a Monday night game. Had this been any other game, had this been some rando 1 p.m. game against the Broncos on an average Sunday, no one would be talking about this. This is because we had an island game that everyone was ready for on a Monday night that we're all tuned into and we're all going through the, what do you mean? It's L.A. How is there lightning? How do we build a $5 billion stadium that can have lightning delays? Okay. How often is it going to happen? You're going to benefit in that stadium from having it be pseudo open air 99 times out of 100. And what's the big deal? We had to wait a half hour. The worst thing that happened to us was having to listen to a half hour of uh, finding out that Derek Carr isn't scared and Justin Herbert's going to the Hall of Fame. Oh, my God. They're so bad. See, how can you say that it's going to be beneficial when that's what you had to sit through? I feel like that's worse than any benefit that the open air stadium is going to bring every other day of the year. If I... Last night, if I were either of the Manning brothers and I were taking my three-week hiatus, I would clip and send the half hour of that weather delay to all of the ESPN (laughs) leadership and say, you are going to pay us double to show up for just the remainder of this season, let alone any other year. Because having to listen to Steve Young and the rest of that crew carry on was absolute insanity. And then I got forced to watch the regular Monday Night Football crew because I've been watching the Mannings the first few weeks. And I got to be reminded that while Steve Levy is solid 
and I generally enjoy Lewis Riddick when he's saying things other than the Raiders need to establish the run. Um, Brian Greasy's a train wreck, <laughs> and I, I cannot suffer much more of that. So um, lightning delays, far less dangerous than having to listen to the ESPN crew in the end. Do you think the Manning cast schedule, because they're off, I believe it's three straight weeks. Do you think that was intentional because they foresaw, hey, we'll be pretty popular and then we'll take it away and people will demand us and we'll be even more popular and get more money? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Peyton Manning is that dastardly a businessman? I don't know. He's got his own show where he just goes around and talks to people. Well, I mean, now they gave that to Eli, too. Yeah. I mean, there's an Eli's places. And let's all right. Let's go here for a second. Let's go here. Um, Did we expect in any way that Eli Manning was going to be the more entertaining of the Manning brothers? I I kind of did, but only because on SNL, there's a when he when he hosted SNL, his he was better in the sketches besides the United Way one. Like that's like Eli kind of is funny. Is it just the little brother thing? Is it, you think he just plays it off? Well, I don't know. Eli Manning has been outstanding. The Manning cast in general has been outstanding. And I, I would have loved last night with Derek Carr's happy feet and the whole thing of, oh, no, is Derek Carr shook? Eli Manning wouldn't have held back for us, right? Eli Manning would have been right there telling us, oh, yeah, look scared in the pocket, right? Like, that's what we needed. Instead, we've got Brian Greasy trying to you know, relive his one glory year from Denver. <laughs> On the Manning cast, one of the biggest complaints is like they'll have guests on and sometimes the guests will not be very good and it takes away from what the broadcast is. But when they have guests on, I think it actually gives us one of the best moments of the Manning cast. And that is when they have a guest and Eli Manning doesn't talk for a while, we get the Eli Manning face. Live on TV, just him staring into a camera, mouth wide open, looking as confused as he's ever looked in his life. Nodding. <laughs> Nodding. There, there's that soft, subtle little nod um, that makes it look like he took one too many Fletcher Cox hits um, that makes you wonder, like, hey, is Eli okay? Like, is he, are they just sort of weekend to Bernie's pulling his head up and down right now to make sure that everybody knows he's, he's still going? Um, I have to be honest, my favorite guest thus far was Nick Saban not just because Nick Saban um was doing it from you know his uh his Tuscaloosa man cave slash office but because he was clearly just on there to try to recruit Arch Manning yes and it was wonderful like the fact that he even threw in a little piece of recruiting on there was like oh my god Nick Saban just played the Mannings by volunteering to come on for this broadcast and then using it as a chance to try to get their nephew he went on TV, something that he probably had zero interest in doing. Even when they asked him during that interview about, do you watch your former players? And he's like, no, I never watched the NFL. He did it, and it was solely to land Arch Manning. Solely to land one of the best quarterbacks in high school football to come play at Alabama and not go to Ole Miss or wherever he could end up going otherwise. He did it solely for that reason, and it is one of the best things Nick Saban has ever done in his coaching career. All right, so... Do we think Peyton Manning would have killed Derek Carr last night? Uh, yes, because Peyton uh, loses it and sort of regains it, but he starts to lose it 
quite often when he sees plays that don't go how they're supposed to go. So I absolutely think there would have been some Derek Carr slander between uh, both of the Manning brothers last night. All right. So it's my opinion also uh, that that's the case. But here's my question to you. When everything started to fall apart for the Raiders that led to the John Gruden era was, of course, the game in Washington that uh, in 2017 that Mark Davis has now acknowledged was sort of, uh, you know, where things fell apart in the locker room in the beginning of the end. So that was all about the leadership of Derek Carr, at least in what we've seen reported and heard rumored. Um, and here we are again, right? This Joey Bosa uh, quote, by the way, is it Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa? Because I screw this up every time. <laughs> I'm not correcting you. <laughs> when Bosa you said. I'm letting you go. <laughs> when Bosa said, no, I, this is one of those things that no matter how many times I can write it down, I can look at it, I will call the wrong Bosa brother the wrong Bosa brother. So I'm going to say Nick Bosa now just to cover myself. Um, <laughs> you got a 50-50 shot. I do. And one of those is right, and you'll clip the wrong one and make me hear it for a long time. But um, when Bosa said the car was shook, I think they put this season in a whole different light for the Raiders because – we can't just walk away saying it's one loss, they're three and one, they'll get back on track next season, right? Because Bosa put out there this idea that, oh, that Derek Carr that you thought had taken this big step forward? No, no, that's the Derek Carr you know. That's the Derek Carr you remember, and we all know it too. And that's the one thing that worries me about Derek Carr is that when he gets into his own head, that's the worst of everything for the Raiders. So do you think this is the sort of thing that is going to start a spiral for Derek Carr in his own head and with his brothers out there trying to defend him all week? I feel like this this has to go the opposite way for him. Like, if you're Derek Carr, this has to be, like, the bulletin board material to be like, I'm not going to play like that again. And he didn't play like that for the first three weeks. There's reason to think he won't do that again, or at least won't do that in the majority of the games the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll see it again because there's a long, it's a long season. But like to me, it has to go the other way. If you're Derek Carr and you're John Gruden and you're that offensive line, it has to go the other way. It has to be the, the thing you print out and put in the locker room and look at every day that, hey, Joey Bosa, who they're going to play again, which is the other fun part of that quote. Chargers and Raiders are going to play another game this year. Hey, Joey Bosa thinks that if I can't get protected, I can't win. That I can't, I crumple up and fall into a ball and fall onto the ground. It it has to go the other way for Derek Carr. Like in all seriousness, if this season falls apart and we look back at this like the Washington game and we look back at that quote and it's like, wow, Derek Carr really did get broken by that. Like the Raiders, they, they got to move on from it. If that's what happens after this, after the first three weeks, and then you let that one game do it, it has to go the opposite way. It has to be the the bulletin board material that leads the Raiders. It has to be the motivation for the Raiders to be like, that's not going to happen again. And we've seen it to where it doesn't have to happen. We know how to fix this. Now, to, in order to accomplish that, two things have to happen. One, the offensive line has to at least be competent. And you were the one who yesterday morning said is this offensive line going to hold up the answer last night was no um the second thing that has to happen is all joking aside they got to find a way to remove josh jacobs from this offense more um john gruden when given josh jacobs feels the need to try to pound the ball with josh jacobs and we got to be honest here good josh jacobs has not been around since 2019 yeah so I don't know what the Raiders have to do, but 
their scripted runs are a disaster. And John Gruden only got his team back in the game down 21 nothing yesterday when A, after the first time Josh Jacobs was on the field, he said he felt a little bit iffy uh, coming off. And B, they were so far behind that they had to let Derek Carr throw the ball down the field to Henry Ruggs. And it drew a pass interference, which, by the way, kudos to Henry Ruggs because that wasn't even close to pass <laughs> interference. But if you watched, Henry Ruggs, as Asante Samuel got near him, Henry Ruggs reached out and pulled Asante Samuel into him like Urban Meyer at his own bar. And that caused the pass interference call. And then the next one they actually completed. Uh, it's a little bit James Harden, isn't it? Not this year. That's Not true. this year, right? That. They're getting rid of that. You were NBA. legislating everything yeah. out of it. Didn't you see Steph Curry I try did. to kick his leg out last night and not get the call? <laughs> it's a little bit of uh, past James Harden from Henry Ruggs. Eventually, we'll have that legislated out of the NFL as well. Uh, but can, uh, slightly related, not necessarily to the run game, though, and John Gruden's love of it. Uh, they got to throw the ball to Kenyon Drake instead of Josh Jacobs because Josh Jacobs at one point last night had four catches for eight yards. He finally broke a tackle on his fifth catch to get a nine-yard gain. He, like, can't break a tackle in open space as a receiver. He's hurt. He's hurt. He's injured again. He's playing hurt. We know he's not healthy. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm trying to say, what are the Raiders doing? Uh, remember Kenyon Drake when he got two years and $11 million and we all chided it. And John Gruden said, hey, he's our joker. He's We're going to use him all over the offense. He had one touch yesterday. One. Kenyon Drake in a game in which Peyton Barber and Josh Jacobs were hurt had one touch yesterday. He is this year's Malik Collins. He has 22 carries and 13 receptions through four games this year. Doesn't okay. Seem like, doesn't seem like enough. No. Especially when no. Josh Jacobs hasn't played in two of the four games this year. Yes. He is a completely forgotten man on this offense, and it would seem like when you're struggling to run the ball, you might try to use your short pass catching back a little bit more be helpful or you could just throw it to josh jacobs and watch him not break a tackle coming up next it's bischoff's briefs and i will let you know what the worst traditions in the sec are bischoff's briefs how was the game not very good have you ever seen a good hockey game no me neither. I love sports. I just can't get next to hockey. Bischoff's brief. See, I think Americans like to savor situations. One down, bottom of the ninth. One run game, first and third. Left-handed batter, right-hand reliever. Infield, a double play depth. Here's the pitch. Bischoff's briefs. Scoring in hockey, it seems to come out of nowhere. The play-by-play guy is always shocked. Le Petier passes to Huckenshuck, who skates past the blue line. Huckenshuck, of course, was traded from Winnipeg for a case of Labatt's after sitting out last season with, oh my God, he scores! Bischoff's Briefs. So this is as requested by Adam Candy after I complained yesterday about uh, cowbells at Mississippi State and hog calling at Arkansas. Uh, I have for you, Pig Suey. oh boy, oh boy, I am going to have for you my top five worst SEC traditions. But first, I do want to give you two good ones uh, that I like. First off, I am a very big fan of Rocky Top, the song that Tennessee uses. I don't know why that song always puts me in a good mood. 
Every time I hear that, it makes me smile. I have no explanation for that other than I enjoy that. The other one that I very much enjoy uh, that kind of doesn't happen all the time is LSU's band playing the song Neck. Uh, do you know anything about this, Adam? I'm familiar with the song. I have no idea about LSU's band playing it. Okay, so LSU's band, I think this was sometime in the early 2000s, started just, they, they were playing the song Neck, and eventually the LSU student section came up with their own lyrics uh, that included Suck That Tiger Bleep. Bleep. There's two bleeps in there. Um to the point where it became that's what they got played every game. The student section would sing it every game. And eventually, I think the band actually got banned from football games for a little while uh, <laughs> because they wouldn't stop playing it. The band is back now and they don't play it. Uh, however, they do play it every now and then and incur a fine. There's a fine system in place for when they play it. And sometimes they will actually play, play it, it and pay the fine. Uh, but that one is just. Very funny because it's like an organic thing that happened. And then the school was like, no, we can't have that happen anymore. And they still keep trying to do it every now and then. That one's fun. So those are my top two. Rocky Top and LSU's band playing Neck. Uh, now, for the top five worst SEC traditions, there's actually a tie for fifth because these are the exact same thing. Just two different schools do them. Uh, and that is so I don't know the actual like song that the band plays, but it happens in college football stadiums across the country that ends with the crowd chanting, we just beat the hell out of you. You're aware of uh, what I'm talking about, right? Uh, not at all. So that's oh. why I'm enjoying you teaching me. Okay. Well, no, no, but just like, I don't, I don't know how it goes. It's like Adam only follows the Ivies. Yeah. There's some, there's some, the band plays something and the chant, the crowd gets to chant in between, Hey, you suck. Hey, you suck. And then at the end, Hey, we just beat the hell out of you. That doesn't ring a bell at all. Oh, I'm sorry. You who couldn't identify John Fogarty are going to worry about someone yeah. not getting a reference. Yeah, Move I don't on. Know. Whatever. Okay. Well, anyways, when bands play these songs, both Alabama and Ole Miss have a chant, a little fight song that goes after it. The Alabama one starts with Rammer Jammer Yellowhammer, Give Them Hell, Alabama. The Ole Miss one goes Hotty Toddy Gosh Amati, Who the Hell Are We? <laughs> Flim flam, bim bam, Ole Miss, my damn. They're both just nonsense. They're just gibberish that make no sense. And they're, they're stupid. They're completely dumb. I don't understand how these happen, but two schools have it in the SEC, and it's stupid because it's not even and words. How, and how many times did you perform that to try to impress a woman? Oh, never. My girlfriend went to Mississippi State. She does not care about that at all. But... They're stupid. I've I've definitely chanted it before in a stadium, <laughs> but they're entirely stupid. It's just completely useless. I don't understand them. So that's your tie for fifth. Two schools doing the same thing with their own set of gibberish. And by the way, the Alabama one, hammer does not rhyme with Alabama. It just doesn't. Now, what if you say it like this? Hammer. I mean, you can try. You can really try to make it rhyme, but it doesn't. Uh, number Alabama th- hammer. <laughs> number four on the list. <laughs> is the Grove in Oxford. Um, for those of you that are not aware, uh, there are lots of people that rank the best tailgates in college football, and often at the top of the list is Ole Miss with the Grove because Ole Miss has a campus that is, there's a lot of trees and grass and open space, and 
or Saturday games. Everybody sets up their tent. Everybody makes their food, whatever setup they have. And there's a lot of people there. I will say this. If you have never done it before and for some reason you find yourself in the state of Mississippi in the fall, you should absolutely go and experience it once. But that is it. Because here's the problem. There are way too many damn people. It is way too packed. You cannot move. You cannot find people. And worst of all, because the Ole Miss fan base is not actually a very good fan base, more people go to the Grove to tailgate than actually go to the football game. The amount of times the Grove is like 100% capacity, while the football stadium is at like 40% capacity, is infuriating. It's not a great tradition. It's more annoying than it is actually fun, though you should go experience it once. Okay, so before you move before you move on to number three, before you move on to number three, um, we know that Urban Meyer used to coach in the SEC. Did he ever pitch a tent on the Grove? <laughs> uh, no, that was at the bar at the square called the Library. Got it. Move on. N- number three, Texas A and M's midnight yell. Um, Texas A and M student section goes and practices cheering the night before a game. What and. I can't imagine anything less fun to do when you're a college student than go and practice cheering for the football team the next day. How do you practice? Do I, you they do? just they just they just chant and cheer and stuff. I don't know. It's very strange. Is there, is there anyone else there? Where do they go? Are they yeah. in the stadium? There's yeah, they're in the stadium, and it's like the they have, they have the weird military thing at Texas A&M. Whoever the weird like they're like the leaders of the student section. I, they have a name. I can't think of it off the top of my head. They like, they like they like lead the practice or lead the cheers during this practice. It's very dumb, very stupid. I hate it. Is there at least like free food? I don't think so. Uh, number two on the list of worst SEC traditions is the calling of the hogs by the Arkansas Razorbacks. Woo! Pig Suey! It's just creepy. Like, it's very creepy. Pig Suey is kind of like Ole Miss in Alabama. It's just sort of nonsense. Uh, I guess it makes a little bit more sense, but it's very cultish. I know sports and all this is already cultish, but it's very cultish. And the main thing is that it takes way too long. It, like, keeps going. And you're like, how is this still going on? You're saying the same four words, and they're not even words. And then at the end, you just yell Razorbacks. It's, it's a nightmare. It's annoying. It's not even good. It's terrible. And number one on the list, the worst SEC traditions, Mississippi State's cowbells. It's illegal. You cannot take artificial noisemakers into stadiums, but for some reason, an entire school gets to bring in these bells and ring them. They don't even have to yell. They don't even have to wake up the next morning without their voice because they just ring their cowbells to make noise. It's It should be illegal. It's illegal everywhere else except in Starkville, Mississippi. It's the worst. It's a, I, I hate it. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. And if you go to a game, it's a nightmare. It hurt. It's even more annoying in person than you can even imagine is 30, 40, 50,000 people ringing a cowbell. It sucks. Okay, and that's outdoors. Now imagine in the early 2000s in Sacramento when this was being done by an entire arena in the NBA, <laughs> which apparently was not illegal <laughs> and somehow seemed quaint in Sacramento because I'm like, well, what else are they going to like you know, use as a local tradition or custom to celebrate their team. Like, what do you think Mississippi State could do as as an alternative? Like, what what is there to know about Starkville for those of us who have never been within two states of it? Well, okay, so actually, the good thing about the cowbells is that they actually have a lot of cows. Like, it's a it's like they've got a great vet school. Like, they, they it's a farming school is basically what it is. And like, one of my friends that went there had an apartment complex and off his back window, you could just see cows at any given point in the day. So it's actually very representative of 
the school. It's a very good job. It just it's illegal. Or it should be illegal. So I have nothing okay, else so to add to you. Maybe cheese and ice cream. They've got a lot of good dairy products there. Okay. So obviously, mm. obviously that's representative of the school. Um, what, maybe, maybe the state of Alabama produces the most yellow hammers that there are. I don't think that's accurate. Maybe, maybe they're maybe they're taking over <laughs> yellow hammer production. Would you like to try to explain hottie toddy gashamati and flim flam bim bam? The only person in the SEC who can adequately explain hottie toddy is Urban Meyer. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Simon Keith joins the show. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Joining us now is Simon Keith. The Simon Keith Foundation's golf tournament and dinner is back this Friday, October 8th. Simon, how are you today? I am so good. How are you guys? We're good. I, I actually do want to start with a little bit of soccer. Did you go to the Gold Cup final here in Vegas? Fantastic, wasn't it? It was. It was great. I was there too, except for not, I didn't have cell phone reception for four hours, so I couldn't fully enjoy it. But the game itself was phenomenal. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to enjoy a footy match <laughs> without your cell phone. How am I supposed to trash talk anybody that's cheering for Mexico if I don't have my phone? Hey, that's your own. That, hey, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do. I am curious. What like? What have you thought about the team through World Cup qualifying? Well, it's so funny because uh, about ten years ago, I, I quoted my, my, my I was quoted that said, "I think that I'm going to see the USA win the World Cup in my lifetime," <laughs> and I think I still stand by that. I mean, the momentum we've got, we you know here I am Canadian, but we I've been in America for thirty years, so I, I'm claiming Americanism. Uh, we got we got a, we got one of the best teams we've ever had, maybe the best team we've ever had. Uh, with truly world-class players for maybe the, you know, world-class players in every position, deep. Um, we're the real deal. But we got, still got to go down to Trinidad and Tobago and get a result, right? I mean, <laughs> you know how it goes. Uh, I am uh, very optimistic, very loud about the 2026 World Cup when we are joint hosting it. That's the time. The, the, the World Cup in your lifetime, my lifetime too, that's it. 2026 when it's here. Certainly got a. We certainly got a got a window. Uh, certainly got a lot of advantages with with that World Cup on home soil. But you know, it's footy, man. Everything can anything can happen on that day, right? Okay, Simon Keith with us. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Simon Keith, he's the first person to play professional sports after undergoing a heart transplant. He actually played here soccer at UNLV as well. And Simon, I mean. We've talked to you about this before, but I guess when you yeah. when you reflect on that, and it having come quite a while ago, it wasn't like this was in the last five years or something like that. Like you look back on it, and what's like what's the most impressive thing about the entire process for you? Well, uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. I appreciate that. It was thirty <laughs> years ago, uh, thirty plus years ago in nineteen eighty nine, eighty seven. I don't know what. Anyways, in the late eighties. I guess, I guess the most – I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Put me on the spot. Um, you can you know, say it's you. Then, you can say it's you. Well, yeah, yeah. Since, since then, um, we've seen one more professional athlete with a heart transplant bubble up through the pros, and that's Eric Compton, the golfer, who's a good pal of mine. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty small 
pretty pretty small fraternity. You guys are going to honor an eight-year-old, Madeline Quinn. Um, can yep. you tell me about Madeline? Oh, she's as cute as a button. Uh, Madeline, uh, you know, she got the short straw at birth. She she was born with a hole in her heart, uh, and they and then got some further complications. By the time she was two, uh, she needed a heart transplant. Got one, thankfully, through you know through the generous, incredible graciousness of a donor family. Um, and she's never looked back. Uh, she is speaking of golf. Uh, her father was a PGA pro. And so Madeline may have the best swing in town this weekend coming up. And I do include all the Shriner players. She's incredible. Okay. So you, you kind of <laughs> touched on it right there, but something that like we have no idea about, and hopefully it's a little bit easier or different now, 30 years later, but what is the process like trying to get a heart? Yeah, it's tough. It's a it's a classic su- supply and demand uh, challenge. There's way too much demand for the supply. Um, you know, things are changing. The United States is is arguably one of the top one or two uh, organ donation and transplant systems in the world. Um, but still, it's brutal. If you're, you know, even me, I was on the on the list a couple years ago. I haven't have a having to have a second one. Uh, and it's being on the list and waiting for that phone to to ring is is just soul-sucking and brutal. Um, so is there anything to change it? Like, is it just a matter of, like you said, supply and demand, and it's just not there? Well, there is. It's actually, it's changing. It's a bit like, you know, it's not like turning a tugboat around, right? It's like turning a destroyer. It takes some time. Um, and so in the United States, we're seeing massive changes. Um, and generationally, it's changing as well in terms of, you know, you get the you get the Gen Xs were really committed, and then the Gen Zs and the Gen, however the order goes. But the younger people, you know, the the 15 to 25 year olds, really want to be a part of social change and really be engaged. And one of the one of the things that if you talk to somebody who's you know sort of my age, sort of mid 50s, versus somebody who's 25. Uh, the answer about organ donation from the 50 year old is somewhat quizzical and and complicated. The younger generation are just like, hell yeah, let's go, right? Like, let me check the box. So uh, Simon Keith Foundation Golf Tournament and Dinner, it's back this Friday. So if, if anybody wants to help or get involved in this, what, what do they need to do for this week? Oh, well, we are so lucky. We're sold out, which is great, but we always love the support. We'll find room for you if you need it. Uh, we got our website up, the Simon Keith Foundation, uh, dot com, and um, you know, it's it's uh, we have a great time and raise money for these incredible kids and these incredible families, and you know, it's just just incredible. Well, he is Simon Keith, and again, uh, it's Friday, October eighth, Simon Keith Foundation Golf Tournament and Dinner. Simon, I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. My man, thanks, brother. So there is Simon Keith, and again, the first person to play professional sports after receiving a heart transplant, and like he said, happened back in the eighties. Uh, so it's a very very long time. Ago, but Simon Keith always fun to talk to. Simon's a good guy. So Friday, if you want to head out there, um, I don't know if I'm more optimistic about the Astros contending for the next five years or the United States men's soccer team being competent and potentially winning a World Cup soon. Okay, I mean, I I assume that this is the sort of thing that happens at nine thirty nine on the broadcast when you think everyone stopped listening, right? What me getting excited about the U.S. soccer team? No, trying to trying to go uh, debatable on 
U.S. soccer versus the Houston oh, Astros. Yes, yeah. What do you mean? Would the people, other people, aren't interested in this? Believe it or not. <laughs> what we like to do is indulge Tyler's weird thoughts about his teams. It 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 hasn't failed us yet, but sometimes, yeah, you wind up in these cul-de-sacs. What do you mean? We're going to win the World Cup, and it's going to be great. Adam, would you? What would your excitement level be if the United States men won the World Cup? Um, I mean, I have a U.S. soccer hat. I would get to wear it hey. kind of proudly. Yeah, see? I mean, you know, like uh, go us. Would you literally like? Uh, are you going to watch the U.S. soccer when they play in Qatar next December at odd times of the day, or are you just going to completely ignore it? I have some moral objections to the whole Qatar World Cup yep. situation in the first place, um, but uh, yes, I, I that is as much about my love for major sporting events at odd times of day than it is about anything else. Um, like, give, give me some you know middle of the night uh, uh, major sporting <laughs> action, and I'm all about it. So w- wait, wait, am I remembering incorrectly? You said you didn't watch much of the Olympics. Uh, the I don't care about the Olympics. Oh. I mean, it's major sporting event. It was on at mm, odd times. Major is debatable. Th- that's the thing. If you, if you want to get into this, the, my beef with the Olympics in general is that just about everything we do at the Olympics, there is already some other world championship for that people care more about. Like if you had said to me, oh, did you get up to watch Olympic soccer? I'd be like, no, because there's the World Cup. Right? Oh, did you watch the Olympic baseball tournament? No, because I don't care about it any more than I care about the World Series. Like. And most of the sports that we care about in the Olympics are garbage because they're judged, right? Like the mo- the things that people get the most excited about, like let's watch the gymnastics, let's watch let's watch the figure skating. Cool. Do you really know if the best person won? No, because we have no objective measure to find out. We have people who can be bought off. It's essentially glorifying the dog show. <laughs> so your sport is not valid if it requires a judge. Your sport does not to be deserve does not deserve to be elevated to. I'm going to watch it in the middle of the night if it needs to be judged. <laughs> yeah, that's, those are the best Olympic sports, though the ones you kind of don't understand. No, the the best no. Olympic sport, without question, and this isn't even a close thing, is biathlon. No. Like, oh, one hundred percent. Look, any any sport where you have to combine a day-to-day activity along with something remotely athletic is fantastic. Like the target shooting is something that you could probably take out into the real world. And, you know, I don't know, you could hunt with it or, um, you know, you could also ski and you have two things that you have to do that are completely disparate that qualify you as an Olympic sport. It's, it's so weird and ridiculous that I love it. Okay. I mean, that is good reasoning. I was just going to say curling because Oh, curling is fantastic. Now, I, I, all right, like the whole middle of the night thing, I 100% have watched curling at like 3 a.m. <laughs> and the may- drama is high. Wait, the way you phrase that makes it sound like it wasn't even Olympic curling. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I don't really <laughs> know. All, I just got so mesmerized by watching these guys, you know, bend it like Beckham with the giant rocks. I was like, ooh, this is better than anything else that's on right now. Oh, would one guy messes up like with the broom and the other two look at him just like, what? Really, man? No, you know how I know it was the Olympics? Because it was the dude with the Ted Lasso mustache before Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. The, the our group of dads that were really good in the Olympics yeah. and they were ranked like 35th in the world and we're just like, yeah, we're just doing this for fun and we just kept winning. 
Um, the, like yeah, the bunch of dudes from Wisconsin. By the way, I have a feeling that when you finally um, stop doing your fake horse races, like that's what's next for you and your friends. You're going to be an Olympic curling team. Yeah, the fake horses is way easier though. That's true. You are a millennial. Yeah, it's way easier. And we got fake chickens coming too. I know. We've talked about it's it. I'm not important. indulging this any farther. We had. I, I do need to share with you. We had a very disappointing race last night. Uh, one of our best horses, High Card, got in a race with one of the best horses to exist. And Joey fin- Bosa? Uh, <laughs> Nick Bosa. And uh, we finished in fifth. Not a good result. Bad result overall. Wasn't a good race for us. Could have been, been a big moment to knock off one of the top ten horses to ever exist, but we couldn't pull it off. By the way, I looked it up, and it is Joey Bosa. Is. And the reason I'm going to be able to track this is because Joey sounds like a little brother. And so I can now remember it as Joey is the little brother. But will you remember that the little brother plays for which team? The Chargers. Okay. The one in California. And will you remember that by the Chargers or the little brother in SoFi Stadium? Somehow I remember it because I remember that the older one went to San Francisco, and that's pretty much it. Like, that's all I can remember (laughs) about it. I I don't don't remember anything else about it. (laughs) Older Um, brother, 49ers. Done. (laughs) Older brother, 1849. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers used to play in Chicago. I'm in Chicago, San Diego. Um, is this less interesting than your fake horses? I don't know. I feel like we've really hit a rut here. We'll find out yeah. how many people are listening because we have two tickets to give away to go see John Fogarty's Travel and Band Sunday, October 10th, Encore Theater at the Win. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We will take caller number five at 702 702- Three six four eleven hundred. You'll get a pair of tickets to go see John Fogarty Travel and Band Sunday, October tenth at Encore Theater at the Win. Want to be part of the show? Call the press box voicemail and let us know seven zero two seven two zero four six seven eight and leave your opinion. Sixteen hundred. I thought it was kind of bull, but I expected it from them. Thirty-seven years pro ball. I've never seen anything like that. That's just their. You know, mode of operation there. Player safety is secondary. I thought we were on good terms. We had a nice chat before the game. Known each other for a long time, but I promise you, I'm not going to give that insult one second thought. What's meaningful to us might not be meaningful to them. Their concerns are definitely not our concerns. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Jason. He won a pair of tickets to go see John Fogarty's traveling band. Uh, Adam Candy is here. He's been filling in the last two days for Ed Graney. We're going to miss Adam Candy, and we would have failed if we did not put one of your areas of expertise uh, to the test on this show. Uh, You are our resident referee, so we have a couple of referee questions for you. First off, how do you as a referee feel about the NFL's new taunting rules? So I'll tell you that in basketball, where I do most of my work, um, there have been some directives that have come down the last few years that say uh, we support you in penalizing all unsportsmanlike conduct. Like if you're thinking about doing it, you should do it. So I understand that sometimes the league comes out with a rule and the referees are just like the cops trying to enforce the law saying, listen, I didn't make the rule, but I'm here to enforce it. That being said, Uh, The Darren Waller situation last night is a perfect example of how it can go wrong. Uh, Darren Waller spiked the ball on the opponent's sideline. That technically, according to um, John Perry on the broadcast, is a violation of the taunting rule. Um, Darren Waller was looking at the stands, not at the players. 
he didn't really spike the ball. He just sort of threw it behind him. Um, there's a letter of the rule and there's a spirit of the rule. And if they enforce the spirit of the rule and really try to get taunting that starts big situations and scrums out of the game, then fine. I don't love it, but you do what you got to do for, because that's the rule. If you're just trying to do the letter of the law so that you don't get dinged on your game report later, that's what it looked like to me in that situation. Then stop it. Just stop it. That Darren Waller situation is why people hate rules like the taunting rule. Adam, I mean, I, I'm sure you've probably told me this before because I always love asking you these questions. But how do you, if you, if like, how do you determine is that taunting? Like, so that you could, like, if you need to tee someone up or you need to be like unsportsman. Well, that's the big difference in basketball is I can see faces. Right. Oh, like I can yeah. see faces. I can see actions as opposed to football where you can't see anything the guys are doing <laughs> like and you can't like there's so much that's different about the game of basketball where in football there's so much physical contact and there's so much that's just did bodies get tied up. Right. Like did guys just get stuck getting up from a play versus in basketball. It's pretty obvious when someone wants to taunt someone else. Right. <laughs> um, so that that's a huge difference. And. There really is a difference between the kind of play that you can be talked out of versus the kind of play that you absolutely have to penalize. And I thought the officials did it in reverse with Darren Waller last night. I thought the second one probably should have been penalized, but the first one shouldn't have been. But the problem is when you penalize the first one and the penalty is if you get two, you get kicked out of the game, you can't penalize the second one. Um, I am curious, basketball, when you give a technical foul, uh, what's your T look like? Are you like full hands to the palm or do you do the little two index fingers to make it a small T? What's your technical foul look like? Ooh, oh, I I'm flattered. Um, it is small because I want it to be as small as possible. If you're giving a technical foul, the concept for all of us is it should be calm. You're not supposed to be raising up to the level of emotion that you're penalizing. And also <laughs> don't escalate the situation. Right. Like a technical foul. I know people probably hate to hear this. It's just another foul. It is. There's a technical foul on its own. It's just another foul. It is the same as someone getting hacked across the arm. Yeah, there's a difference that if you get two of them, you get kicked out of the game. But it's just another tool that's meant to say, hey, a little too far there. We're going to shoot a couple free throws and get back to play in the game. Uh, all right, another referee question for you, because we've seen this a couple weeks in a row. Does there need to be... I don't know if it's a change or maybe just more awareness for when defensive players move at the same time as the snap. Let's just put this as simple as possible for everyone. When it comes to that rule and any other rule, we're watching an entertainment product, right? And the last thing we want is more flags. We all hope the game can be played as cleanly as possible and that the referees are doing as little as possible to get in the way of that game flow. So if there's something that's that close that you need to split hairs on about someone moving with the snap or how close they were lined up, then just let it go. No one wants more. No one wants more whistles, more flags. We don't want more whistles, more flags. We're not there to show off how well we can do the job. We're there to keep the game moving as safely and as well within the rules as possible. So if it's that close, don't call it. Is this a case where it simply looks like they're offsides because they're getting a perfect jump? It looks like they're offside because we have frame-by-frame -frame replay, period. Right? If we were not replaying everything down to 
individual picture frames, then we wouldn't look at it and have any idea, right? We would look at it in full speed and say, eh, looks like it was about the same time. And if it's about the same time, then why is it a problem? I, I mean, again, I, I have spent far less time refereeing other sports than um, than basketball and soccer than, than, uh, than these. But I, I just don't see why we're taking things that you need a full film breakdown to be able to see the penalty and calling them. Is instant replay the worst thing that's happened to referees? No. Uh, instant replay is accountability. I get it. Um, now, ha- has it hurt the game in terms of the product, in terms of the entertainment product? Yeah, because no one wants to sit around for five minutes figuring out whether the call was right or not. Think about going out to play pickup basketball, and some guy calls a foul on you, and everybody on the in the pickup game is like, oh, come on. Nobody sits around and debates for 10 minutes whether it was a foul. Check ball and let's go. You might not want that guy in the next game, but check ball and let's go. And in general, all games, check ball and let's go. You mean you don't do the VAR signal when you call a foul or when someone calls a foul and pick up on you? I I actually do not. And and I have, (laughs) listen, I have spent plenty of time at the monitor and reviewing plays and so on. And I'm telling you, the internal clock in your head when you're reviewing a monitor is like, all right, let's do this as quick as we can while we still get it right. Well, he's Adam Candy, our resident referee. Yeah, he is. The best part of our show is when Adam Candy breaks down calls in sports that he doesn't actually referee. Woo! Uh, <laughs> <Pink> suey. <laughs> Thanks for the last two days, Adam. Ed Grady is back tomorrow. Yeah.